Welcome to BBC's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website at ballamvineyard.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. We, we're right in the middle of a, of a series on the story of the kingdom, and uh, uh, we're going to talk today about the clash of the kingdoms. Uh, and uh, maybe the next slide. Let's, let's go on to the next slide. I, I read about a spa in Miami Beach, and here's, here's a description of the spa vacation that you, you and I can take if we've got money to burn. Listen, just listen to this. A luxury hotel is offering, offering you and I a 350-gallon infinity tub filled with thousands of litres of uh, Evian water. Uh, you'll be ta- and this is the description. You'll be taken up to a penthouse suite whereby a team from the spa will give you in-room treatment, sounds great, and set you up with a platter of food, salmon, foie gras, lollipops as well, which I thought was a bit weird, um, and the seven sins of chocolate. But this is where the real show starts. Our butler will fill a small pool with natural Evian spring water. Of course, there's the flickering lights, the floating daisies, the candles in the water. uh, And the the hotel proudly refers this as the world's most expensive bath. And at around £3,000, you and I can take that bath. Uh, You... (laughs) Separately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you on your own and I on my own can take that bath. Um, is that what life is supposed to be like? Let me, let me show you another slide. This is the reality of uh, other people who are, who are taking a bath today. Tens of thousands of people every year are, are taking horrendous uh, trips to, to find safety. They're fleeing, uh, they're fleeing persecution, they're fleeing war zones, uh, and they are spending thousands of pounds in order to do that. This is the, this is the, the reality of some people's baths today. And um, uh, I don't know about you, uh, if you've got outrageous sums of money to l- luxuriate your way uh, in a spa bath in Miami, um, but for some of us, we're convinced that there is a war going on. And we're, we're talking today not just about a physical war that's happening, but uh, a spiritual war. Uh, and for some of us here, we might be saying, yes, I know there's a war. I've heard sermons about this. Uh, I've read something about spiritual warfare uh, in the Bible. But, but surely this happens far away from me. Surely far, far away from my family, uh, far away from my workplace or my, or my church. Others of you are like, Steve, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm right in the middle of a, a huge battle, a huge spiritual warfare at the moment. Uh, let me just tell you about another thing that you can do, tourism. It's called dark tourism. People who are deliberately venturing into uh, places that are dangerous uh, for the sake of tourism. Um, there are tourists that go to the top of the Golan Heights, and that's on the... Israeli-Syrian border, and to watch the smoke rise 
from, from Syria. And so uh, this website claims that people can sit back, relax, and watch explosions from the civil, Syrian civil war. Uh, and so we've been doing this series on the kingdom of God, and uh, we, we believe that the kingdom of God is the central message of the Bible. It, it's the, the story of the Bible, of the kingdom of God. And it's the story about a God who is good and kind, who's this king, who's always, always at work in this world to restore uh, this world to, his, uh, to our rightful uh, place, to restore God's rule and reign. And I believe the story of the kingdom of God holds the Bible together. You see, as we've been discovering, it's the, it was the central message of Jesus, the kingdom of God. It's the central message I want to propose of human history. And today, as I continue to talk, I want to talk about uh, the clash of the kingdom, but specifically, specifically who, is, who is the devil. And we're going to talk from Ephesians 6. Uh, we're not, uh, and it's a famous chapter in, in the Bible just about the armour of God. And it's a famous chapter that, that we read about how we, how we are to fight a battle, a spiritual battle. And so we're going to, we're going to look at that. And it says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may uh, take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces uh, of evil in the heavenly realms. This is the word of God. It's absolutely true. And it was given to us in love. Uh, there's an ancient Chinese military uh, book written over 2,600 years ago, and it was called, it's called The Art of War. It's read, written by a man called Sun Tzu. It's said to be one of the oldest books on military strategy in the world, and it's had a huge influence, not just in the East in military strategy, but all over the world, and even now in business, in, in corporations. Uh, its influence has gone way beyond the military. And one of the things that... Sun Tzu says, I don't know if you can see that, let me read, let me read all of it. Uh, he says this, and I, I found that interesting, I found it interesting uh, just what he says, and we're going to use this as, it's, uh, as a premise for today. You must know your enemy before going to battle. If you know your enemy and know yourself, you will come out of a hundred battles with a hundred victories. If you only know yourself but not your opponent you'll win one battle and lose the next. But if you don't know yourself and you don't know your enemy, you will always lose. Know your enemy. Know your enemy. Uh, and amongst the various names of this supernatural evil that comes against you and I, comes against the church, uh, comes against the world, is the name Satan. It's this Hebrew word for him. Satan, the Hebrew word for him. It characterizes his role as one that accuses, one that brings slander, the evil one. Uh, the Bible talks about the serpent who describes his work as cunning and tempting, or the dragon, the ruler of this age, the deceiver of the world. Other thing the Bible describes him as is the adversary. We're at war. Do you know your enemy? Do you have any idea what you're up against? And so I wanted to just talk to you about uh, the, the role of the evil one and then how we can 
resist, how we can resist him. I made an admittance to Viv earlier this week. Um, Viv and I have had a tough 12 months uh, personally, just around us, and our marriage has taken a bit of a hit. And about six months ago, we decided that we would go to see someone. We would go and see, see someone, see an expert, see a professional. And um, as one that hates being wrong, uh, particularly in an argument with Viv, I, I, <laughs> I, I said this to her. I said, I think I've realized that Satan wants to destroy our marriage. Uh, she's been saying that for, for months and years, probably. And I think I finally sort of realized that he really doesn't want us to be married. Uh, for myself, personally, over the years, I've seen firsthand the devil seeking to bring harm and accusation. Uh, I've seen people with evil that I can only describe as evil in their eyes. And I've stood in various places uh, that I can only describe as evil. Um, I've seen people delivered from demons. I've seen people who were demonized one minute, the next minute they're a different person, set free. Uh, I've been confronted in dreams by darkness. I've had individuals confront me who are, uh, I I can say that they're, they're more than just mentally disturbed or they're just annoyed that I'm a West Ham fan. They, they've, there's more evil to them. And I've walked into places and sought to, to brought God's light and love. Uh, we do healing on the streets, uh, and we've been doing it for a while, and we often have people who want to bring curses, or uh, particularly there's a, there's a couple of sort of witches who want to come up against us. And my response has generally to to be to hug them. <laughs> my, my response is to try and hug them. Come on, give me a hug. And I can see them sort of, uh, they're not sort of frothing at the mouth, but I can kind of, <laughs> I can kind of get a sense that they're trying to bring some cursing. Just come, come give me a hug. Come give me a hug. And I, I've realised that uh, if, I, if I truly believe that I have Christ in me, who's the hope of glory, then I don't need to, I command that spirit to go. I don't need to do that because I believe that God's love and his kindness is so much more powerful than any kind of hateful words at a person. So, uh, but also I'm a little bit, at times I get a little bit cheeky and so I just, come give me a hug. Come on, come on. You, you can see Jesus, can't you? Come, come, come give me a hug. And these people just back off. They're like, no, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to come near you. And I'm like, and it makes me want to go nearer to them. Like, come on, come, give me a hug, give me a hug. Uh, So we have these scriptures here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. And so the New Testament regularly communicates uh, to us that life in this world, even for a Christian, is not an extended beach vacation in Miami. Nor is it this dark tourism. It's not a war to be viewed from a distance in the safety of the Golan Heights where we watch other people fight. Ephesians 6 describes war as our struggle. It's our struggle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities. And in 1 Peter 4, sorry, I haven't put this up. 
it says this. 1 Peter 4, 12 says this. It gives, reinforces this idea. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come against you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But re- I love this. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Uh, you see, for a Christian, there's nothing strange or hard uh, about life being tough. Uh, just like in any war, there are innocent casualties, collateral damage. Uh, but the scripture says, whether you like it or not, we live in a freaking war zone. <laughs> Thank you, Nusha. <laughs> and so Jesus, he personalizes uh, some of that with the name Satan and the demons. And again, if this strikes you as a bit medieval, something impossible for people in a scientific Western world age to still believe in, I just want to challenge, challenge you. And I've just got some questions I, I've just been asking as I've, as I've thought about this. Why did God enter the world in the first place? Why did God become a man? In, in 1 John, I think there is a slide, I think there is a slide. 1 John 3, 8, it says, uh, the one, and this is the answer, why did God enter the world? What was his main purpose for, to become a man? The Bible says this, the one who does what is sinful is the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. It's amazing. The way God became a man to destroy all of the devil's works. So all of the devil's works have already been destroyed. That's the hope. And so Jesus came to embody the invasion of God's rule and reign in this world. From his inauguration in, in, in Luke 4 to the moment he resurrected, uh, he's been at to bring his rule and reign on the earth. Uh, and so let's look at this. From the moment he was born, there was a relentless attack against him. There was a war going on that first Christmas morning. There was this clash of kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan were smashing into each other. You see, God came as a man to, um, to invade Satan's usurped rule over the world. Satan, he knew, I want to propose that Satan knew his kingdom was under assault. And that's why he, again, I just want to propose this, that's why he inspired Herod, the king, to murder all the baby boys in Bethlehem. You see, Satan knew that the true king was coming to reclaim what was rightfully his. And then we get another story. When Jesus was baptised, it's my my way of seeing how much God uh, demonstrates his love for him because he, he opened up the heavens And in a loud voice when Jesus was baptised, he declared, this is my son with whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. But the warfare continued. What I want to propose is that whenever the kingdom of God goes forward, there's always a counterattack. Every time the kingdom of God goes forward, where we see something of God's blessing, of God's favour, God's light penetrating the darkness. There is an, a counterattack. That's what happened with Jesus. This, this principle of the clash of the kingdom is attack, counterattack. Uh, 
I don't know if you've seen that in your own life. Every time you move forward, you take forward movement, there is a counterattack. Last week, we had some beautiful people who got baptised. They're just declaring that this is who I am, this is what I believe, and I'm, I'm putting a, a, a stake in the ground and saying, I belong to Jesus. There's forward movement. Uh, I don't know if you see this. So in Jesus' life, when he was baptised, Satan counterattacks him by tempting Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness. When Jesus, he, he healed people, and you may have heard this before uh, here, it's estimated that he healed about 100,000 people during his three and a half years ministry. Mass healings and individual healings. He, he displayed miracles over nature, deliverances. You would see devils come out of people just uh, as Jesus was around. We have an emphasis here that healings, deliverances, miracles were part of Jesus' heart for, as compassionate, a compassionate heart. We read scriptures where Jesus, he was moved with compassion towards people. He was showing God's heart towards people. You see, God loves everyone and wants to restore every human being to himself. He wants human beings to flourish. And so we believe that Jesus, he worked these miracles to bring people into his family. And again, there's an emphasis where Jesus will include people that have been excluded. People that are marginalised, people that are on the edge. You see Jesus' eyes and his heart including people. I had this thought, almost like Jesus was putting a welcome sign over the entrance to the kingdom of God for everyone. And he was just saying, come as you are. You are so welcome. But also the other side was that the other part of the lens is that Jesus was setting up his kingdom against uh, Satan's kingdom. Every healing, every deliverance, every miracle over nature, Jesus was setting himself up as the king, as the ruler over all these things. And Jesus, I'm going to use a biblical term, Jesus was literally plundering the house of the strong man named Satan. And this is how Jesus explains himself and his ministry. So we hear why, why God brought Jesus. This is what Jesus describes about himself and the ministry that he brings. And in Matthew 12, 28, I don't, I don't know if I put a slide up, but it says this, Matthew 12, 28. It is... It is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons. And when that happens, the kingdom of God has come upon you. We had this mentioned again, the kingdom of God coming. Or again, Jesus says, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions without first tying up the strong man? We need to tie up the strong man. Then his house will be plundered. You see, you see the purpose of Jesus' mission and ministry, to tie up the strong man to tie up the devil, to plunder his house. And then Jesus dies. And again, we have these two lenses. He died as a sacrifice for our sins, to pay for our debts. He died in our place as a substitute. He died to, uh, to satisfy, to appease the wrath of God against sin. But the other side, we do not fully understand the death of Christ in a comprehensive way, unless we set it against this backdrop of spiritual warfare. Why did Jesus die? He died to overthrow the kingdom of Satan and death. And we read in Colossians 2, 
And he says this, this is, this is why Jesus died. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God saw the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Uh, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. There's one side. And then Colossians 2 goes on in verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over the cross. This word disarmed here speaks of God stripping Satan of all of his artillery, leaving him with no weapons to fight with. When Jesus rose from the dead, he plundered, he totally plundered the enemy. He took back what was rightfully his. So the enemy has no power over you and I anymore because Jesus has ultimate victory. For those of us who are Christians, um, I hope you get it by now. We're at a war. There's a relentless attack from the enemy, not only on Jesus, but also on Jesus' people. All that God loves, Satan hates. You can't, you look at the book of Acts, you can't read the book of Acts without seeing this relentless attack on the early church. Imprisonments, beatings, martyrdom, stirring up the crowd against uh, the early Christians. Uh, for many people around the world, this is a daily occurrence. Uh, for Viv and I, we, we've seen pastors and leaders, Christian leaders, pastors, self-destruct because of their own greed their, or their own sexual sin. We've seen divisions in the churches, the scandal of child molestation, false doctrine being taught, which I can only describe as a doctrine of demons. When you look at the state of the world, uh, of the church in the world today, some of the church is weakened, it's bloodied, it's compromised, it's persecuted. We cannot understand this other, other than to say we're at a war. Let's read, six, uh, let's read Ephesians 6 again. And uh, w- we want to help you discover what are some of the tactics of the enemy in order to help you, uh, help you resist. Let's go to the next, uh, the next slide. Paul speaks about the devil's schemes on strategy. Uh, so number one, he's cunning in verse 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Uh, I don't know about you. The the devil rarely attacks openly. Um, he, he, He tends to use darkness in his attack. He's a dangerous wolf. Uh, Satan doesn't normally attack through persecution or open warfare. That's not his most common common weapon. He prefers seduction to draw us to compromise and step by step to erode us or to lull us to sleep. The the best way he can can do to make us ineffective is just to make us bored or lull us to sleep. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. Satan is just as happy as if we sit in front of Netflix for hours a week, drowning ourselves in escapist entertainment, or show after show after show, and he's just tossed you in in jail. Uh, We're no threat to him. Uh, And for me, that's one example. And I want to just ask ask you a question. 
Are you aware of the strategy, Satan's strategies over your life? Let me give you a few others. This, this is going to be like a hug, like I gave to that. I've tried to give that, that woman. I, I, come with, I come with humility, but I want to provoke as well. I want to kind of hug, hug you through provoking you. Um, as Christians, we, do we get uh, caught up in society's need to get drunk? Do we push the boundaries of sex, immorality? Are we trapped by pornography and masturbation? Anxieties, anger. I want to I say to some of you, you're way too awesome to be acting like that. Remember who you are and stop it. The devil doesn't own you. He has no power over you. And he never will. Jesus has defeated every power of the enemy. And God cannot be the source of your strength if the world is the source of your standards. I mentioned the welcome sign that Jesus brought to people. And my prayer uh, this evening is that this message will introduce you to the true source of your strength, Jesus. And, but there is a battle for your life. And as you stand firm against the wicked schemes of the devil, you see the devil wants to judge you and he wants to help you judge yourself. But God says, uh, I think there's a scripture here I was, I was, I was thinking about this week, uh, you know, when the, uh, on your phone, I've got you version, it pops up with a, a verse, and I, and I think I've got some kind of streak added to, added to my daily, daily streaks. Um, and it said this, I, I thought it was a fantastic verse, Isaiah 28, verse 6. Uh, God, he will be a spirit of justice to the one who sits in judgment, a source of strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. My God says that he will come with justice for you and I. And he will come with a solution. The devil wants to judge you. But God will come with us to be a source of strength. I also want to come and, and hug some of you. And just say the cross isn't just your future eternal security. It's not your free ticket for eternal life. It's your everyday operating system. Some of us today need a reboot. Uh, some of us need a boot, and some of us need a reboot. But the cross is our daily operating system. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, I'm going to put two and three together. So number two, so number one is cunning, verse 11. Number, t uh, number two and three, they're together. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Uh, we know that, that Satan, he has no power, he has no authority, but he exercises power over, my, over our minds, over men and women, uh, through lying and dis discouraging. He can drive people to suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts, self-destructive thoughts, thoughts of harming yourself, thoughts of harming others. We have to come to grips with his strategies. He can stir two people who swore to love one another till death to them part and to tear one another apart in a brutal divorce proceeding. 
And the, the Apostle Paul points to another one. He says he's wicked. Uh, he's got no moral compass. He's got no uh, moral code to the way he battles. Uh, the enemy, he loves the darkness of lying, the darkness of deception. That's why so many places where sin is committed are dark places. People don't want to be exposed uh, when they're in sin. They don't want the spotlight shone on them. They want sin in secret, in dark, at night, where they can be unseen, anonymous, unaccountable. Our enemy is wicked. I just want to throw one more thing out, and then we'll, we'll, we'll come to land. Are you in touch with yourself to know where you're vulnerable to attack? Friends, let's just be honest here. Are there some places in your life that are, that are real weaknesses? The place where enemy has access to you. And uh, do you have enough self-awareness to know those entry points? Maybe there's some grooved out habits of sin. Maybe there's some repetition of sin that have just created some grooves. Um, Perhaps there's a growing emotional attachment with someone who is inappropriate for you to be attached to. Maybe you and your spouse have got a little more distant. Uh, Viv and I, we left marriage counselling on, on Thursday, grateful for some of the, the skills and growing communication. The enemy's out to destroy our marriage. Uh, and for many of us, for many people, you may be married, you may be in a relationship, it will take you very little to push you over the edge. It may be you're right on the edge of your relationship with the Lord and it will take you very little to push you away from your relationship with the Lord. Maybe for some of you there are certain situations that you do not well, do not well with. Maybe when you travel alone. Maybe when you're in a certain group. Uh, maybe there are things that trigger self-destruction or self-destructive behaviour. Or it might be that you're, uh, you're so needy of attention that your vulnerability, you're vulnerable to flattery. The enemy has no power. He has no given power, authority over you. And so it's vital that we approach this battle with the right attitude. Until Jesus returns, we have a fight in our hands. But we fight from a position of confidence, knowing that Satan is already defeated and the victory is ours. Do you know that? We're in a war, but we've already got victory. We must see ourselves as victors, not victims. So we don't pray for victory. We pray from victory. And that's the truth. Why is life so hard? <laughs> because we're not on a vacation. We're in a war. And we're not tourists. We're smack in the fricking middle of it. I just added that one in there. I love that song that we sung, and I'd, I'd love to sing it again. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. Jesus, I thank you that you're fighting our battles. And I thank you that you've already won. You came to disarm the power of the enemy and to hate back what was rightfully yours. And I pray across the room now, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, 
or you would release victory over people from their rightful place. Any lawyer who goes into a court is not only trying to punch holes in their adversary's case, they're also, they're also completely aware of their own weaknesses in, in their own case in order to defend against those that are coming against them. Why don't we stand? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our BBC speakers.